coming up on golf today, what will Phil do next? The question has never carried more weight than it does right now. Will he defend at the PGA? What about live golf? We'll speak to Phil's unauthorized biographer, Alan Shipnuck, coming up. And the director of golf at Southern Hills, Kerry Cosby, stops by to talk about playing 18 with Tiger Woods. How the 15-time major champ look both physically and his game, and can Tiger win again? And they say the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. The field at the AT&T Byron Nelson is loaded with big-time players ready to make big-time moves. Don't mess with Texas. It's golf today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Hope your Tuesday is off to a fantastic start. This is Golf Today. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine. On Monday, the full field was released for next week's PGA Championship at Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The list included four-time PGA champion Tiger Woods, who won at this venue back in 2007, as well as the defending champion, Phil Mickelson. In fact, Phil has not teed it up since his controversial comments regarding Saudi Arabia and live golf. It's been a long while. So, Eamon, I want to tell me something. Is this something or nothing? We've got Tiger and Phil at this point, a week away, still on the field list. In theory, it's something I'm nothing, really, until nine days from now when play gets underway. But we're going to know probably by Monday or Tuesday at the latest, whether or not they're going to play. At some point, somebody will announce they're in mm. or they're out. And at this point, it's really not clear, but it builds anticipation. And if you're the PGA of America, you've got to love the anticipation that's being built around your championship here. At a certain point, though, you don't want the anticipation to become a circus when it moves into championship days next week, which could only really happen, I suspect, if it's filled because the, with Tiger, it's an issue of the physical strength to play the golf tournament. Phil's situation is more political, more personal. Yeah. It's, it's a circus that exists outside of the ropes, whereas the Tiger Circus would be pretty much contained with inside the ropes. And we're used to seeing the Tiger Circus. I think Tiger is in. He's told us he's playing the Ben Hogan schedule, finished 47th at the Masters. No real setbacks. I imagine he will be on that first tee uh, next week. Amazing. In Tulsa. This is where he won in 2007. We're going to have Kerry Cosby, the director of golf from Southern Hills, on in just a little bit. As for Phil, I tell you what. Does he want to be the middle of the circus, the center of the storm in this way, dealing with the media? Is it still too hot, too combustible at this point for him to show up and defend his title? All we've seen so far are grainy Instagram, you know, videos with him and his beard and swinging, you know, hard and looking decent. But uh, I just, I, at this point, I don't think Phil's going to be there. Well, in his statement stepping back from the game back in February, Phil said that he was happy to be out there in public and take the, the shots from people, as he described it, in, in an effort to try to get the PGA Tour to function more in the way Phil Mickelson mm. thinks it ought to function. So he won't get a bigger platform to continue that same fight than next week if he were to show up and do that. But he yeah. would do that knowing that it would alienate the championship he's defending to suddenly use it as a platform for another agenda. So he may choose not to show up next week. And if he doesn't, well, then that has its own layer of nuance to it mm. as well, because suddenly he stands accused of building more anticipation around the first Saudi event in London, which he has asked for a release from the PGA Tour to compete in. The verdict on that release is due by end of business today. 
Lots of questions, big time questions still to be answered. So here's a reminder of the outright odds for that PGA Championship powered by our friends at PointsBet Sportsbook. You see John Rahm, he's lived atop this list, named the tournament. He's been there. Scotty Scheffler also at plus 1,200. Roy McIlroy after a terrific week, fifth place finish outside the nation's capital, plus 1,400. There you see at the bottom, Tiger and Phil plus 4,000 and plus 12,500 respectively. So speaking of the co-favorite, the Masters champ, Scotty Scheffler actually visited Southern Hills last Thursday alongside his Zurich Classic partner and fellow Texan Ryan Palmer, the assistant pro there, Cameron Shim, caddied for the world number one and came away with a rave report. Now we know Scotty's called this his favorite golf course. He played one ball the entire time, no practice putts, and made it look easy. He's number one in the world and it was pretty easy to see why it would be hard to say He's not going to win or at least be in contention. He hits it far enough. He has just incredible distance control with his irons. Ryan shot two or three under and looked like he was standing still based on how Scotty was playing. His proximity on most holes was six to eight feet. The greens weren't slow, but they were wet. His speed control was good and just took the break out a lot of them. He looked like he was converting them easily. So Scotty Shuffer out the only one making some spins around Southern Hills. Justin Thomas, a couple other big names, playing alongside Jordan Spieth on Monday. Course is awesome. Some nice PGA Championship prep before next week as JT posting this to social media. Gonna be a fantastic week in Dallas. A lot of big time players. You see Sam Burns, couple wins already this season. Brooks Kepka, Joaquin Neiman. There you see Scotty Shelfer. So fascinating. Tiger always typically would take the week off before a major championship. These Tiger babies, they're playing back-to-back -back weeks trying to get ready for that second major championship of 2022. And for more on all the happenings outside Dallas, we welcome in our own Amy Rogers. Thanks, Damon. Well, players have long grappled with the decision whether to play the week prior to a major championship or not. It's a personal preference that really seems to vary from player to player and, and sometimes even major to major, depending on how they're playing. But this week, several of the world's top-ranked players are here in the field at the AT&T Byron Nelson, which is just one week ahead of the season's second major championship, the PGA Championship. 54 players are in the field this week will make the trip here from Dallas to Tulsa, Oklahoma to Southern Hills Country Club for the season's major. Now, the players that are competing this week are faced with a unique challenge. And first and foremost, they want to play well here, try and get a win, while also balancing that urge to try and make those final preparations ahead of the major championship. I think it's all just a continuous process. So just keep doing doing what I've been doing. Uh, I don't think it really changes much for the majors. Um, obviously, you want to play better in the majors uh, than the regular tournaments, but uh, you can't really control that that much. You just always try to play your best. I think it's just uh, getting your body ready, uh, mentally prepared um, for a, you know, a major championship. Um, you know, I think you can kind of dial in a few things that you've been working on. Taking a week off, you might kind of not have the same feel coming back. So um, I've always played my best golf uh, playing quite a few weeks in a row. 
two or three weeks a row, week off and then playing a major. Uh, but I had the last couple weeks off and I didn't want to come into a major um, after having a month off. So playing here and uh, looking forward to this week as, as well as the PGA Championship. For me, you know, I mean, this week is huge too. I mean, it's obviously, I mean, a major next week is massive. But, you know, this week it's going to be a big purse. It's a strong field. It's a great tournament. Like, I really enjoyed playing here last year. So for me, my focus is going to be on here right now. And then, you know, Sunday evening I'll see what I learn and see what I need to improve on for next week. But for me, my focus for me is going to be uh, this week. Is it challenging to maintain that sort of balance and not getting too ahead of yourself, knowing a major is kind of lurking around the corner? It is to a certain extent, but, you know, golf is a, is a funny, funny game. You know, it's one of the things, if you can gain a bit of confidence in what you're doing right now, it, it can be kind of a lasting feeling. So like that, that's going to be my thing, going to have a good week, build some confidence, and then kind of use that going, uh, going into next week. I want to win. Um, I think we all want to win when we tee it up. Um, you know, uh, some guys obviously prepare harder for majors and take it more seriously, but, you know, I'm out here every week uh, doing what I need to do to try and win. So um, I'll do that this week. Um, you know, if push comes to shove, I might take a little extra rest uh, knowing what's coming next week. But uh, other than that, yeah, here, here to win. Adam Hadwin has largely not played the weeks prior to a major championship. He's really changing things up here this week. It'll be just the third time that he plays the week prior to a major, hoping to kind of reverse the trends of the past. His best finish, just one top 25 in the majors. Well, also in the field here this week, the winner of the season's first major championship and world number one, Scotty Scheffler. Also here, former PGA champions Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka. David. All right, Amy, on the ground for us, the Byron Nelson. I love this question about players deciding to play or not play. You know, Tiger would take the week off typically. Phil one year won in Atlanta by 13 shots and then went on to win the Masters in 2006. Pete Sampras of, of tennis fame used to call it being match tough. You know, how many reps do you want ahead of time? And then there's also just the philosophical standpoint of the Byron Nelson itself having this strength of field, having, you know, thank goodness Justin Thomas and having a couple Texans like Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler bringing the crowd out. When Byron Nelson passed away in 2006, this field took a large hit. Nice to see the likes of Kepka and DJ and players at a very important tournament, in my opinion. It really just proves, Damon, how important geography is in this game. And mm. in terms of the decision-making before a major, a lot of that, I think, comes down to the combination of game and geography. Do you need to be match sharp? Are you searching for form? Are you trying to bed in swing changes? That applies to a lot of guys who are in the field are just trying to test their health a little bit in, in Kepka's case to make sure he's game sharp. We haven't seen him since Augusta either. But the geography is important. It's a pretty short hop from Dallas to Tulsa for next week's PGA Championship. And we see this play out all the time. You look at the Travelers Championship here in Connecticut, which typically draws one of the strongest fields all season long on the PGA Tour. But the field was slightly diminished in 2019 and 2021 when the US Open was played the week before on the West Coast at Pebble Beach and Torrey Pines, respectively. This year, it's got one of the strongest fields you're going to see all year long on the PGA Tour schedule because the, the U.S. Open has been played in Boston right. the week before. It's a great point. Also, you think about how robust the PGA Tour schedule is and the best players in the world kind of being able to, to pick and choose and set the schedule as they would like because of, you know, increased purses and invitationals and World Golf Championship events. It's not an Olympic year, but an Olympic year is kind of weighing that into their summer plans as well. How much do you think that for the best players in the world, like a DJ, like a Kepka, that they can kind of take the wide view and say, I'm playing here, I'm not playing here, I want to peak here, as opposed to, to someone 100th, 
on the FedEx Cup standings? Well, generally speaking, the farther you are down that list, the less options you have. You, you kind of want to take every start you can yeah. get and try to make more headway. A lot of guys will make decisions based on commercial responsibilities they have. Right. If they have a relationship with a sponsor of the tournament, they're going to feel obliged to play that tournament. And particularly this week, Jordan Spieth is an AT&T guy right. and has been for his entire career. And it, to me, it also depends a lot on what they expect the challenge to be before a big event. You look at the guys who played Bay Hill the week before the Players' Championship, and they had the heck beaten out of them yeah, by the they time did. they even got to TPC Sawgrass. And there were some mutterings afterwards that if that continues to be the style of golf offered at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, it might dissuade some guys from playing that as their immediate stop before they Would go to the Players' Championship. I, I kind of thought it was a little bit of... Of belly aching because one you know one week it's like oh the courses are are too easy I don't, I don't want this to become a putting contest and the next week it's oh my gosh this, it, a U.S. Open broke out in uh, Orlando the city beautiful I mean yeah. I thought it was a little bit of belly aching personally well you know me I love to see these guys get savaged week in and week once out once in a while yeah right? I, I like to see them have to you know grind out some pars once in a while U.S. Open's one of my favorite tournaments to watch <laughs> for that reason but you can understand why if they're trying to play their way into the career-defining championships, mm. that they may not want that kind of battering yeah. before they get there. I mean, you look at last week. To me, actually, last week was tremendously entertaining golf. Despite the weather uh, and the difficulty of the golf course, it was, it was a total grind, but yeah. it was fun to watch. Guys would be less enamoured of that kind of challenge if it was coming this week, knowing where they have to go next week. Yeah, the, the rough was thick uh, at, at Bay Hill. The greens were slippery. And then we saw just Amy Rogers standing there looked pretty windy at TPC Craig Ranch. Can you imagine the players that are playing this week? Should it be a very windy, difficult test? And we often hear about players, especially when they play in windy conditions, perhaps in the UK, for example, and then trying to take their game to the next week, and sometimes things are a little bit off. It could be a start in Hawaii, you know, at the Century, and then at the, at the Sony, and trying to get back to the mainland, and their swing's a little bit off because they played so much in the wind. If they're going to be upset by playing in the wind in Texas, they should pack up and head home instead of going to, be Tulsa windy in Tulsa next week. They need it to blow hard yeah. this week because the harder it blows this week, then the better it's going to feel next week. Yeah, a lot of great storylines for the big-time players in Texas. Also, some fantastic storylines for the Monday qualifiers. How about Wesley Bryant? I was texting with Wesley uh, this morning. A buddy of his thought I was on a flight to Dallas. I'm not. I'm here in Stanford. Connecticut, but congrats to the 2017 winner of the RBC Heritage on making it through. There's Andrew Loop on this list as well, LSU Tiger. Fantastic basketball player, by the way. Don't try to play one-on-one -on -one hoops with Andrew Loop. Well, the LPGA Tour's Cognizant Founders Cup has been played at a new venue for the third straight time. But one thing hasn't changed. The winner, world number one, Jin Young Ko, is going for her third straight victory in this event. We'll have more on that when we come back. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Wind Grips, the best grips in golf. And Bushnell Golf and the Pro XE, experience the best. And by introducing the Cobra King Forge Tech Irons, a better player's iron. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. 
we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. This week, the LPGA Tour honors its own history at the Cognizant Founders Cup. The tournament honors the Tour's 13 original founders while showcasing some of the modern game's best talent. This year, the event will be played in a new venue, Upper Montclair Country Club, Clifton, New Jersey. We've seen a familiar name when this event the last two times it was played. Flashback here to 2019, Jin Young Ko won the event shooting 22 under par for the week in Arizona, finishing one stroke clear of Jessica Corda, Nelly Corda, Carlotta Saganda, and Yu Lee. Right well, there was no event in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, so in 2021, Jin Young Ko finished off a wire-to-wire -wire victory in the Founders' Cup with her 14th consecutive round in the 60s, and that matched a 16-year record held by Annika Sorenstam. She looked for the three-peat this week in New Jersey. And here are the recent results of Jin Young Ko, 2022. Coming off that win to start the year at the HSBC Women's World Championship, most recently finishing second in the Palace Verdes Championship, and in between, a shocking tie for 53rd in the season's first major at the Chevron Championship. And Damon, we now have a situation where we can see there are four straight tournaments Jin Young Ko has not won. Yeah. This counts as a slump with Jin Young Ko because she hasn't actually gone four tournaments without a victory since last summer. Yeah. This is like the Tiger Woods, you know, Tigers in a slump. I think we learn about the best players in the world in their struggles. And for her, this has been a struggle. But she also struggled a little bit emotionally at the beginning of 2021. She lost her grandmother. She felt guilty that she was traveling the world as a professional golfer and decided to dedicate the rest of 2021 to her late grandmother. And she won five times. So she talked about how proud she hoped her grandmother was looking down uh, from heaven. This year, the strife was on the golf course when in Los Angeles, and we watched it at Wilshire, when yeah. she had that unforeseen quadruple bogey, her first ever quadruple bogey eight in her LPGA career. Every she, quadruple is unforeseen. For her, Except, right? ours, Except for right? us. But then she bounces back the next week, final round 66, and loses to Marina Alex by one shot. I love seeing how the best players in the world, they, they, they can bounce back from strife and struggle, and it's not really long-lived. I'm not worried yeah. about this player. If there was one aspect that I do worry about is, is she missing Nelly Corda? Because there was such a build-up to this rivalry, and is it a Borg-McEnroe situation where McEnroe was, was a little bit kind of lost in the wilderness, you know, wanting Bjorn Borg to come back? Because it seemed like we were at the cusp of this great rivalry. That's really been in the, in the back of my head as well mm. over the last couple of months with Nelly Corda's 
absence is we, we did have the makings of a wonderful rivalry and the golf game has not had one since the last one was also on the LPGA Tour. You go back to Annika Sorenstam mm. and Carrie Webb more than 20 years ago to get a, a rivalry. And it really was shaping up, particularly over the last few events of last year, where they seem to be trading wins in the second half of 2021. With Nelly out of the game, you wonder if she does actually have that little lacking of fire, the, the need to yeah. prove something to someone. But it's not as though she's beating anyone else right now. I mean, she's, yeah. she's not exactly playing badly. She finished yeah. second last week. I'm just wondering... Is she judged by impossibly high standards now at this point? I, I think she is. I think she has incredibly high standards and has talked about the fact that, hey, you know, last year, you know, what did Nelly do? Nelly won an Olympic gold medal. She became number one in the world and also won a major championship. So she was saying between the two of them, she thought maybe Nelly deserved player of the year honor. So I think, you know, at the age of 26 with 13 LPGA wins, two of them major championships, she feels that she has some bigger, you know, boxes that she wants to check in 2022. I'll be fascinated to see how the rest of her major championship season goes. She did not play very well uh, in the California desert in the first major championship of the year. Four more majors on the LPGA. The standards are, are, are nearly impossible, but I feel like she also holds herself to those standards. Yeah, and it's been three years since she triumphed in a major championship. So heading to Pine Needles in a few weeks, I think she's going to feel a little bit of heat, yeah. as, as a lot of them will, to prove themselves. But you, to win as consistently as she does and as dominantly as she does, certainly through a lot of 2021, and then to just not quite be there in, in the major championships. I was shocked by the T53 at the Chevron. She's I was played too. well there before. She's been a champion there before. And suddenly the game just seemed entirely off the boil for her. Yeah, she puts a lot of pressure on herself, but her expectations are among the biggest and the greatest in this game. And speaking of which, still to come, two big-time guests you're not going to want to miss on this Tuesday. How about the head pro at Southern Hills? Kerry Cosby joins with more on next week PGA. You know, he played that practice round with Tiger Woods. What insight does Kerry have? And yes, Alan Shipnuck joins with more on the book that is making headlines. We're talking all things Phil when golf today returns. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. 
And season three of the Connor Moore Show premieres tonight exclusively on Golf Pass. Right now we're joined by the man himself, Connor Moore. First off, congrats, buddy. The Connor Moore Show has over 20 million views on Golf Pass and social media since it began. You're starting this third season. What can we expect from the Connor Moore Show this year? Uh, firstly, thanks a million. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, this year, I think the COVID restrictions have lifted and sold the shackles off us. We, uh, there's a lot of ranting. We all, in golf, we love a good rant. We've got some great interviews. We have some really, really good sketches that we've done. And if these sketches, you know, come out half as good as, you know, they felt like they were coming when we were filming them because we had such a laugh, it, uh, it's going to be great. It's amazing. When you say to me there are 20 million views, I'm like, wow. Because I remember two years ago when we started this and it was just right. I, I moved to Florida just before COVID. COVID hit then. I didn't even think it was going to happen. I don't. I, I kind of even wanted to go home. It was such a weird time. And in fairness, but for the foresight of like Justin Tupper and especially Fran Salamita, uh, they they pushed us to get this off the ground. And thank God they did. Like it's been a great, great three years. Well, Connor, where did the ideas come from? Because the show is named after one guy, but presumably it's more than one guy who's behind the ideas for the show. Uh, it is like we have a whole uh, writing staff. Something that I wasn't accustomed to here in Ireland. Uh, so. A lot of us had different stories. We'd be playing golf together and we'd just say something and something would happen. It's even like the bag clean out there. Uh, and this happened to like me and another guy, Jason. Um, it was amazing. It's like, I remember we were downstairs. Uh, uh, I was downstairs and my wife went over to my bag and she, could, she was like, I can smell vinegar or something from your bag or whatever. And I was like, no, you can't. And she goes over to my bag. She finds three bananas that have been there for like a year in my bag and it was like my favorite sketch though that I did definitely was uh, with Jay Larson where it was like the first time I ever played uh, golf in America and uh, it was sorry it wasn't the first time I played golf it was the nearly my first American experience where I didn't know what a breakfast ball was or whatever so I hit my tee shot off the off the first and he hands me a ball he says here have a breakfast ball I was like all right then he gives me uh, a couple of mulligans and all of a sudden, I end up, I, I hadn't even broken 90 at that stage. And I ended up, I think I shot like 79 that day with all the gimmies he gave me and stuff. So that was, uh, that was my first experience of golf in America. Well, there are very generous people over here. That's why I live here too <laughs> as well. Are there any special guests we can look forward to this season? Uh, yeah, no, we got plenty. We got uh, Kenny G. Um, he's on tonight. We interviewed him. That interview was, I think we had to cut it down to like 10 minutes, but we spoke for maybe two or three days on the Zoom. Uh, he is a golf fanatic. That was great. We also had Jim Jeffries uh, came on. Uh, he did a sketch at Matt Walsh. We've got Manolo on tonight, the golf instructor extraordinaire. So, yeah, it's been incredible. I think this is definitely our best season. And I can't wait for it to, uh, to, to um, start off tonight. Before we go, can we hear from Ian Poulter? Ian, how, how's the year going for you so far? Oh, well, you know, I think it's been a decent year. You know, it's we've started off quite enough, really, haven't we? Uh, you know, the Masters uh, didn't get to play. That was nearly a disaster. I mean, imagine the Masters without the uh, the big three, me, Tiger, and uh, Phil. But Tiger, in fairness, he played. Although I told him, I said, I think you should retire. But, you know, he's, he's a competitor and he wants to break the record, doesn't he? I said to him, I said, you're 46, mate. I mean, you can't compete anymore when you're 46. But he said he wants to break the record, but, I mean, he's got to win another four Ryder Cups to catch me, doesn't he? And I don't think he can do that, you know? And even if he wins another four, I'll probably win another five. I mean, I'm still young. I'm only 46, you know? 
Now, we heard your Gary Player recently met the actual Gary Player, Connor, right? I did. I was, uh, I was uh, at the Insperity uh, Invitational, and I got up, and I was doing my Gary Player. Jim Nance was asking questions, and uh, there I was. Yeah, as you can see, I was doing a couple of press-ups, and all of a sudden, I was... I said, like, no, uh, Gary Player impression is complete without a couple of push-ups. And as I was doing my push-ups to the crowd, Gary Player comes up, rips off his shirt, throws it off onto the ground, and he beats me in a press-up competition. So that was it. And Gary Player can still get it done. And, Connor, so can you. Congratulations on Season 3 of the Connor Moore Shore. We'll speak to you soon, pal. Guys, thanks a million. And sorry, I just want to uh, call, name out Shane Lowry keeps calling my phone. He's seen me on the television. I kept trying to cancel it. So if you saw me doing this a couple of times, it was because of him. So <laughs> Tell him he should be practicing for next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he should be. He should be concentrating a bit more on his golf. But he's at home watching this, and I can see these messages coming in on my phone, and I'm, like, trying to not get thrown. But <laughs> Looking forward to it. Season 3, Connor Moore on Golf Pass. Welcome back to Golf Today. Next week, Major Championship Golf returns to Southern Hills Country Club as the renowned course in Tulsa, Oklahoma, plays host to the PGA Championship for the fifth time. It looks mint. Last time the course hosted the PGA Championship, 2007, Tiger Woods beat Woody Austin by two. When his fourth Wanamaker Trophy had that 62 and a half on Friday, you might recall. Hug for his former caddy, Steve Williams. 13th major championship in all. A Tiger was on property in late April to play an 18-hole practice round. Did not have caddy Joe LaCava on the bag. Instead, went out with the director of golf, Kerry Cosby. Kerry joins us now on this Tuesday. Good to see you, buddy. You know, it created quite a buzz when the golf world found out that Tiger was on the course <laughs> a couple of weeks ago with you. How did this practice round come together, Tiger? text you did one of his buddies tell like how did it even happen well we got a we got a call from the pga just saying that uh, tiger and his team would like to come down and and uh get a get a look at the golf course and the changes that gil hans and jim wagner and their crew made a few years back and and uh, they connected us uh with his with his group and and uh needed a couple caddies because and and you know i offered it up i didn't i didn't realize the wake that was going to be behind uh, all of that. I should have, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it caused quite a buzz from the moment he well, – actually, not even before he landed, I guess, uh, uh, while he was in the air. And then, of course, when he touched down and all the way through the round and he left here looking like Elvis uh, heading, uh, heading off the stage. What was it like being out there with him, Kerry? And what kind of sense did you get from the information he wanted to get out of the day? Well, you know, as a as just a fan and, and, a, and a golfer, it was pretty pretty surreal just to watch it. You know, from from that viewpoint right there for 18 holes, uh, somebody that you know we all admire for his accomplishments, but probably more so for his grit and will to compete and the heart that he's shown over the course of his career. You know, specifically the last uh, few years. Uh, so that that part, from just my standpoint, was was really um, just amazing to watch. Very inquisitive about the changes. He remembered all of the golf course, every every club he hit. It seemed like from uh, from 07, and just uh, was asking different what what had changed on certain holes. And you could tell his recollection uh, from 15 years ago was was perfect. Uh, he, he seemed to enjoy the the changes. Thinks it's a little bit more of a um, got to be a little more precise. Maybe coming into the greens, probably a little bit. Of, he didn't say this, but in my case, uh, just my opinion. He, it's a little bit uh, maybe easier driving golf course than it was back then. 
but uh, have to be a little more precise with the approach shots uh, as you come in. The edges of the greens, uh, much more crown. Got the Maxwell rolls back that were established with with uh, the restoration work, and it's closely mown almost in every area around the green. So balls that uh, you know sometimes miss by a pace or two, or just kind of just off the green, can now be ten yards, twenty yards, even fifty yards away from the hole uh, uh, around a lot of these greens. Kerry, you've been around a lot of great players in your time. After spending that time with Tiger, what makes him different in terms of how he sees the game? Well, you know, I, I, I probably concentrated better watching him play than I have in a round of my own for the past 10 years. Uh, I, I, I really just zoned in on every mechanic, how he's setting up. You know, he, he just I really wanted to watch and appreciate what he does. Uh, his ability, I think... The thing that he does, and you guys know this better than I do, just his ability to focus and kind of block out everything around him, uh, probably out of necessity based on what follows him around, is is really remarkable. Even on a casual practice round day, you know, our club clubhouse was still open. The golf course had been closed. So there was a number of members that uh, had, had come out for lunch. Probably a few of them came out for lunch uh, impromptu after they saw the, uh, the the social media posts of his of his uh, landing in Tulsa. But uh, I think his ability just to block it all out uh, and hit shots is, is remarkable. And Kerry, obviously Tiger wanted to do some reconnaissance on the trip ahead of the PGA Championship, but there was also the assumption that he was physically testing himself in terms of his ability to compete over four days. Did you get any sense of how he was physically, how the walk taxed him during the course of that round? You know, he didn't. I think the golf, the walk is a little bit easier here than it is at Augusta National. And, uh, you know, so he went through four days. We all watched, you know, on, on, on uh, every move that he made at Augusta. He seemed like he was tired and maybe laboring a little bit more as he went on through that over the weekend. Uh, every, he didn't say anything about it, didn't mention anything, but he, he certainly looks like it hurts just to walk. So I, you know, I, it's remarkable to, to, that he's out here even trying and it doesn't look like it hurts when he hits a shot though. It was, that was something that was, that was pretty evident. Um, uh, hits shots, just, it's just great to watch. Everything he did was really, really good and spot on. And, but then, he, you know, his walks, it's, it certainly looks like he's in pain, but again, he didn't mention that or he didn't say anything. He certainly didn't say it to me. Carrie, after seeing him up close, why can he win or why can't he win? Well, I, from from the golf shot standpoint, it, he can certainly hit all the shots required. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure he's not the longest any any longer, but uh, compared to some of the younger guys, he's you know even at 46, he hits it out there pretty good, really good ways, and he just hits it pretty, <laughs> hits it solid every single time. You know, the guy in charge of cleaning his clubs, that's about the only thing good I did the entire day was probably keep his clubs clean. And uh, it didn't have to do much. It was just right in the middle. It looked like about a dime size on every shot he hit, including bunker shots and pitch shots. So it was uh, – so from a – he can certainly hit the shots. I think probably the the physical side of it, can he, um, can he go four days with a few days of practice prior to that uh, and, and compete? Because as you, as you guys know, it's taxing – just as a health to a healthy person to play four days of competitive golf. And, and then, um, you know, a few days of practice leading up to that. So um, that would probably be the, I, I would, I'm, I'm on his camp. I, and I was well before I, I caddied for him. I, I think he could do anything. And I thought he'd win again uh, when he won again at 19 with the masters and the tour championship the previous fall. So I, 
I wouldn't put him out of anything. If there's one person we shouldn't count out, it's, it's, it's Tiger Woods. Well, some of the guys he's going to have to work his way past, Kerry, have also been in town yeah. in Tulsa over the last few days. <laughs> Scotty Scheffler was there with, with his buddy Ryan Palmer, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth. Have those guys been knocking on your door as well, looking for some insight to the golf course? <coughs> excuse, excuse me. I, I did walk. Uh, well, we, we've had a number of players. Uh, Will Zaltoris came in in the winter when we were, you know, pretty much khaki wall to wall and played in January. Patrick Reed came in for a good, I mean, he worked his tail off for two days. Um, uh, on especially worked hard on the greens and kind of getting his sidelines down. And then, and then, uh, as mentioned, Scotty Sheffield and Ryan Palmer were here last week, uh, Spieth and Thomas yesterday. John Rahm was out yesterday and uh, is out there right now as we speak uh, playing. Uh, I went around the back nine with, uh, with John, spent all the time with Patrick as well uh, when he was here. And uh, uh, Spieth and, and um, uh, Tom JT had – Looked like they had an entourage. So Bones was with him. He knew his way around the golf course. And one of our one of our best caddies was was with him as well. So uh, that that's pretty much. I'm I'm not going to offer. I don't know what I can offer these guys other than maybe an angle or two here and there or, or a whole location that that you got to be careful with because they, they see the golf course uh, uh, pretty easy for them. Carrie, we're blessed in this generation with fantastic twenty somethings on the PGA Tour, and yet Tiger shows up on a Monday at Augusta National, and it's right. like Woodstock. Uh, you called him Elvis. Are you surprised that at 46, with everything he's gone through, that you know all of a sudden more people are ordering club sandwiches <laughs> on the veranda and Arnold Palmer's at Southern Hills, and it's just right. like time has <laughs> stood still? Yeah, he's, he's – uh, we've known this. I mean, he's, he's, he's got an aura about him, and he's just a transcendent – you know, athlete and popular <laughs> culture icon. I mean, he's, it's really fun to watch. And uh, it was neat to be inside that circle for a few hours just to, again, as a golfer and a fan, just to watch how he does it. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm just talking with some of the friends around here is that, you know, he hits it through any window and it doesn't look like he changes anything in his setup. I was just amazed by that. So I've been, you know, if I had time to practice, I'm, that's what I'm going to practice on. How do I do that? But um, yeah, he, he, he certainly, and you hear the top players in the world, all the guys you just mentioned, that when he's on property, it's a different atmosphere. And uh, he brings – it's just uh, the, the energy is, is just different, and it's, it's pretty cool to watch. Kerry, Tiger won at eight under par. Alex Chaka won the senior PGA at eight under par. Ray Floyd won at eight under par 40 years ago yeah. in a PGA there. And Ratif Goosen yeah. won at four under, which is the USGA's version of eight under par in a U.S. Open. What's your target right, number right, next right. week? You know, I'm just looking at the forecast. Uh, we had a lot of rain the past uh, couple of weeks or a few days ago, and uh, we're drying out now, and it's, it's warm and windy, and it, we're hoping that it stays warm and windy throughout the tournament. If it does, and it's not it, – last couple of days have been really windy, so I think that would, that would affect it. But uh, assuming that, assuming that it's, a, you know, a normal 10 to 15-mile-an-hour south wind and, and 85 degrees, and it, and it doesn't – we're hoping for no rain – I'm going to say, uh, you know, six to ten under par. Kerry Haig obviously is tremendous at setting up a golf course and knows he's going to be able to get the best out of the, of the best players. We've had seven professional majors in the past, and 31 people have ever finished under par. So, um, and it's 450 yards longer than the last time we had an event. So it's, uh, it, it certainly is a challenge, and when the wind gets up, it can, it can really test you.
Well, Carrie, I know next week will be a real quiet, sleepy, easy week for you. Uh, <laughs> your phone yeah. won't be ringing at all. Thanks so much for your time right. and, and reliving some of those moments uh, with Tiger a couple weeks ago. Good, good to be with you guys. Look forward to having you here next week. Well, from talking Tiger to talking Phil, next up we'll be joined by the author of a highly anticipated and very unauthorized biography of Phil Mickelson. The book comes out next week. The author, Alan Shipnuck, is coming up next. Phil Mickelson hasn't had a shot on the PGA Tour in four months, but that hasn't stopped him being the subject of a lot of stories and even more speculation. Some of that centers on a new unauthorized biography of Mickelson dropping next week. The author of that book, Alan Shipnuck, is with us. And things have been coming in twos for Parker Cootie since his birth. His twin brother plays alongside him at the University of Texas, but yesterday in US Open qualifying, he doubled up on something else, and the odds of it happening were 67 million to one. Find out what as Golf Today continues. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Another hour of Golf Today on a Tuesday. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week magazine. One of the big topics of conversation in the world of golf over the last few months has been Alan Shipnuck's soon-to-be-released book, Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar. February 17th, Shipnuck released details of a conversation he and Phil had back in November in which Mickelson told Shipnuck he had helped the Super Golf League draft its operating agreement, saying further about the Saudis, quote, they're scary bleeps to get involved with. We know they killed Washington Post reporter Jamal Khashoggi and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. Soon after that excerpt was posted, Phil released a statement of his own, which concluded by saying, quote, I know I have not been my best and desperately need some time away to prioritize the ones I love most and work on being the man I want to be. And Alan Shipnuck, the author, joins us now. It's great to spend some time with you, Alan. You've covered Phil Mickelson and the cult of lefty since 1994. Why was now the right time for this book? You know, it's incredible that no one had ever captured this big, juicy, controversial life uh, in a book. He, there's, you know, my, my, my shelves sag under the Tiger Woods biographies, um, and yet Phil, in a lot of ways, is, is a more fun, more colorful character. And so um, it just felt as he was kind of, uh, you know, heading into the back nine of his career that, that it was time to really round up all the fun stories and, and all the thrilling victories and all the slapstick defeats. And... You know, I, I expected as, as I as I dived into this reporting that there would there would be a few juicy bits. I didn't know exactly where this this book was going to take me, uh, but you know, I, I've been tracking Phil's whole career. I mean, my first season on tour was his second full season, so I've, I've always been drawn to him. He's incredibly charismatic. He's fun to be around. He's obviously fun to watch and write about. And so, uh, I just felt like after a lifetime of of reporting on Phil and, and writing SI cover stories and and being in his orbit, uh, it, it was time to really go deep and, and understand him in, in a different way. There's a lot of interesting vignettes in this book, Alan. In particular, you detail 
some pretty extreme gambling losses, an, op an opulent lifestyle, generosity to other people. I mean, there was always a lot of money coming in with Phil, but it seems as though there was always a lot going out as well. Were you surprised to find out just how large Phil Mickelson lives? Yes and no. I mean, little bits had, had leaked out through the years, you know, Amy buying him a, an actual T-Rex skull as, as a birthday present. You know, they don't sell those down at the mall. And, and we know about the jets and the mansions and, and all that stuff. So he, he clearly enjoyed, you know, conspicuous consumption. But um, and everyone, everyone's always known that Phil likes to gamble. That's not a secret. And, uh, you know, anecdotally, there was some big losses. There was probably a few big wins along the way. But no one had ever really understood the scale of it. And, and just through my reporting, I was able to get some actual numbers, which I think shed some light on the fact that this is this is more than just a casual hobby. I mean, this is a big part of his life. And, you know, one, one of the primary questions in this whole Saudi seduction is, is why is Phil doing this? Does he really does he really need the money that bad? You know, we've all seen where he is on the, the PJ Tour career earnings list. And we know about all the endorsements. And it was just assumed he was sitting on this empire. But uh, when, when you look at the scale of the gambling, you have to wonder if, if that's helped you know, compel him to go down this road. Does he actually need the money more than we think? Uh, so I thought, you know, to bring some actual reporting to that and, and, and find, find a hard number it was enlightening. Alan, on the gambling, you have anecdotes with Gary McCord during PGA Tour events with the hand signals from the 16th Tower on whether Phil can two-putt from 50 feet to the lavish trips to Vegas with the sports gambler Billy Walters. You write, quote, Phil has always tried to get his fix through gambling, end quote. How deep did it actually get? Well, clearly very deep. I mean, when, when, you're, when you're talking about millions of dollars changing hands because of, of losses in sports betting, I mean, that, that, is, that is substantial. And even if you're making $40 million, like, you know, Phil was, after you pay your taxes and all your expenses and your jet and, and all the people you're in, in your employ, and everything else that goes into this very large life, uh, you know, how much is really left? And if, if you're losing $10 million a year, uh, there's not that much left over. So, you know, I, I think it's clear that, uh, you know, Phil, Phil was, was really going hard. And uh, on one hand, you could say, well, that's, it's his money, it's his business, he can do whatever he wants. And obviously that's true, it's his life. But if it starts threatening to reshape the whole world order professional golf, because he's going to the Saudis because he really wants that money, you have to question, uh, is it really more than just an individual issue or is it a potentially affecting an entire sport? And, uh, you know, I, I think we're, you know, that, that's been the missing piece in all this with Phil and the Saudis is, is why? Why is he doing this? And I think when you understand the scale of the gambling, it gives you a little more insight. One of the most familiar characters in the whole Phil Mickelson story, Alan, was Jim Bones Mackay, his caddy, up until five years ago for his entire career to that point. Do you have any insight on why that relationship ended so abruptly? Yeah, you know, it was, they were always very different characters. And that was part of the fun and, and the frisson of, you know, watching them work. You know, Bones is very methodical and serious and analytical. And, and we know that Phil is just this freewheeling, fun-loving character out there on between the ropes. And so you could always feel there was that little that edginess. But I think it brought out the best in both of them. And, um, but I think over time, they might have worn each other out a little bit. But there, there were some other issues. You know, Phil always kept the 18th hole flags from the victories. And for a long time, he gave them to his grandfather, who tacked them up on the wall. And it was a really cute story. But that always, that always bothered Bones in a way that, that nobody could really understand it. He never got the flags, especially after the grandfather passed. 
Um, but Phil kept the flags even from their major championship victories. And you know, during the Phoenix Open, uh, Bones and his wife would host players and caddies for for meals or whatever, and everyone would say, "Where are the flags? You, know, you guys have won forty something tournaments. Where are the flags?" And um, and so that was always a huge source of contention uh, in in a way that I don't think the rest of us could really fully understand. And then. You know, money was was a factor too, and this is a theme that, that runs through Phil's life is the money. And so, uh, they, Phil and Bones had already been working together when the FedEx Cup was created, and they kind of had an agreement on on how Phil would would share some of the you know the payouts, which initially were deferred, and then you know, it's always been something that the players and the caddies have had to work out. And and so they they, they had a you know a verbal agreement, but Phil just never paid, and over time that turned into a, a very large number, you know, by by a Bones accounting, it was $900,000, which is serious money that he was owed. And so uh, th those were two factors. And then just sort of the disregard for his advice. And uh, sometimes Phil would tell him to be at the course at 10 and wouldn't show up till noon. And I think it was just, you know, after 25 years, uh, it was time for them to part ways. Clearly many facets to this big personality that is Phil Mickelson. In fact, you write at one point that Phil's persona is well-honed stagecraft. What did you mean by that? Well, people in the game have always known there's a public fill and there's a private fill, and there's a divide. And that's probably true for a lot of public figures, and, and even for the rest of us. You know, we, we, in our daily lives, we wear a certain costume, and in our private lives, we might be different. Because Phil is such a big personality, it was just exaggerated. And so, the, um, you know, it's not to say it wasn't sincere. I mean, he loves the fans, and he thrives on their energy, and the autographs, and the thumbs up, and, and all those things come from the heart. But... You know, in private, he can be very spicy. He's got an extremely sharp needle, um, and he can be very profane. And there's there's a racy side to Phil that, you know, is a little different from the, the squeaky clean, wholesome image that he presents to the world. So um, it's not even necessarily a critique. It's just a, it's a reality for a lot of public figures. But with Phil, it, it just the people who really knew him. Uh, would kind of roll their eyes sometimes at some of his public pronouncements and some of the things he would do because it was so different from how he was behind closed doors. Yeah, there's that side of him. Then you describe the scene of Augusta National locker room attendants hugging him after he won the 04 Masters or Phil working the room at a bearing point event, making the guests feel like they're 10 feet tall. What do those anecdotes represent? Yeah, I mean, that's why Phil's such a fascinating subject for biography because he is so complex, you know, so many books have been written about Tiger, but um, I find Phil to be far more interesting because he's just so, there's the extremes, there's these multitudes that live within him, and he can be incredibly generous. I mean, he's done large-scale philanthropy, which he really doesn't talk about and doesn't get the kind of public recognition it probably should, and I think he's happy that way. And many random acts of kindness um, to fans, to people in the game, uh, you know, there's just, you know, Ryan Palmer tells a story when he found out his his wife had breast cancer. He mentioned it to Phil, and Phil wrapped him in this bear hug and, and said, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get the best doctors, the best surgeons. They're going to call you tonight. Your family's going to be fine. Everything's going to be, and Ryan said, it all came true. I was on the phone that night with, like, the head of MD Anderson Cancer Center, and, you know, Phil can be incredibly giving. And you mentioned that the locker room attendance is a great story. After Phil wins the Masters in 04, you know, finally breaks through. And that night, after the dinners and all the celebrating, he's finally packing up and leaving Augusta National. And it's the guys from the locker room are clinging to Phil, almost like survivors on a life raft. They're holding on to him so dearly because 
all these years he's been dispensing these monumental tips and now he's moving up to the champions locker room and they're, and they're losing him forever and they're really sad about it and so you know there's when there was a longtime waiter at the Augusta National Clubhouse who was up for a promotion and, and Phil wrote him a letter of recommendation you know he doesn't have to do that he doesn't have to take care of you know all these disadvantaged kids in San Diego that he buys school supplies for and, and all the little things he does so I mean, he, Phil has a big heart. He's a very giving guy, and that, that's part of who he is. And then there's these other sides to him, too. And that, it was fun to peel back those many different layers in this book. In the statement Phil put out, Alan, when he announced he was stepping away from the game for a period of time almost three months ago, now he said he was going to take time to work on being a better man. What did you take that statement to mean? Yeah, that was the most interesting part of, of that word salad. And I think, uh, you know, I think that's bigger than the Saudis. You know, when I started working on this book almost two years ago, someone who knows Phil very well said, you know, he's been skating on thin ice for a really long time, and all it's going to take is someone to tap that ice, and it's just going to crack beneath them. I didn't really, you know, think it was going to be me, but, um, you know, I think, you know, Phil's been playing fast and loose in a lot of ways for a long time, and, um, you know, think about the stress in your life if you're losing a lot of money gambling and all the other things that go with that. And, you know, that's just one part of it. Um, and so I, I think it's really, this, is a, this was a moment for Phil to reset. And uh, whatever that means in his personal life, in his professional life, in his business life, uh, I think he's taking stock. And, you know, he did this in, in the winter of 2003. You know, he had his, he had his worst season as, as a pro. And he almost lost both Amy and uh, Evan, his son, in the operating room. And, and Phil really took some time away and, and thought about where he was in life and where he wanted to go and rededicated himself to the game. To, he got in better physical shape and he founded the, uh, you know, the, the, his own personal philanthropy vehicle. And 2004 was the best year of his career. And so, you know, and also we saw that with Dustin Johnson. He took his own leave of absence and he came back a better person and a better player. And so I think that's what we all wish for Phil is that, he really uses his time, and um, you know, I actually feel like he can he can come back more popular than ever. You know, sports fans love a comeback; they love a redemption story, and uh, a, a slightly more humble, more human Phil Mickelson, I think, will be wildly popular. Oh, I'm curious if it'll be wildly popular with fans, but are you struck by how little public support there's been from the locker room for Phil during this whole episode? <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. You know, this, the, the silence of the players has, has, has spoke volumes and even some of the sharp criticism because for all the things that, that Tiger Woods has done, put his fans through and his family, you never heard the players take a shot at Tiger. And, of course, some have come out very strongly against Phil. And I was talking to a longtime PJ Tour player who knows, who knows both those guys really well, and, and he said the difference is Tiger never made himself bigger than the game. And he was putting money in my pocket. Like, he could have left the tour and started his own tour, but he was always loyal to the PGA Tour. And, and this guy said, Phil's the opposite. He's trying to take money out of my pocket. You know, he could wreck the PGA Tour with the Saudi stuff. And so I think that's why the players have, have been so sharp in their criticism, because Phil was potentially threatening their livelihood. Now, you know, now Mickelson would argue that he was trying to make things better for them, and, and he was an agent of change, and there's some truth to that. But not all, not all the players saw it that way. I mean... They kind of saw that he was he was working both sides of the street, and it might not be for their own benefit. So, the, um, the extremely sharp criticism by a lot of top players, I, I thought, was quite interesting. 
Alan, I want to leave you with this. Uh, this is an unauthorized biography, but he did talk to you, and those quotes ended up in the book, uh, inflammatory, in the, in the biggest hot water because of this live golf endeavor. Are you surprised at the end of the day that he ended up talking to you? Yes and no. I mean, I went to thrill uh, to Phil three times face to face and, and asked him, you know, if he'd sit for interviews for this book. And like, as I explained to him, it, it really behooves you to tell your side of every every story and put your spin on things. And he thought about it and he ultimately said no, which is his prerogative. Um, and then right as I was finishing the book, he called me and he wanted to talk about the tour and Saudi Arabia and all of those things. And I just think Phil, as, and there's other funny stories in this book about dinner parties where Phil dominates the conversation and no one else can get a word in. Like, we all know, and it's, just, it's a cliche that's attached to him, but it's true. He, he wants to be the smartest guy in the room. and He wants to tell you how smart he is. And I, I think in Phil's mind, he had gamed the system. He was, he was, he was negotiating with the PJ Tour, with, with the Saudis. Either it was a win-win. Either he was going to get what he wanted from Jay Monahan, or he was going to get this massive payday from the Saudis. And I think he wanted me to know just how clever he was and then what a cagey businessman he is. And, you know, he certainly wildly underestimated the emotion around Saudi Arabia as an issue. But I just think Phil has this compulsion. He's an over-explainer and he, he, wants, he wants to get in your head and he wants to influence you as a reporter. And I'm sure you guys have dealt with that through the years as well. So in the end, even though he said he wasn't going to talk to him, he just couldn't help himself. And that, that's part of who Phil is. He's got these compulsions and He's always battling his own inherent tendencies, and um, so he had to pick up the phone and call me, and I was surprised, but it certainly informed the book in an important way. Alan, by the biographer's standards, events have moved at a really rapid pace over the last few months. Are you in any way afraid that the book might become in some way dated by what's happened in the last couple of months and what will happen in the next few months with Phil? Not really, because, you know, we took this book down to the wire and I was able to get all this Saudi stuff and, and the leave of absence and all that in the, in the book, which is not easy to do uh, three months ahead of publication with, with a, a big publishing house. And there's supply chain issues in the book industry. They don't have glue and paper. You know, it's hard to move things around, but we did it. And so um, I think it's pretty much up to the current moment. And what, whether Phil comes back at Southern Hills or the first Saudi event or the U.S. Open or St. Andrews, I think... It's going to be a monumental event, and you know the book is going to be an important resource for people who want to understand Phil and during this really turbulent moment in his life. So, um, you know, I think it's as current as an actual physical paper book can actually be. Well, Alan, the book is monumental as well, rip roaring, a lot of fun, colorful as in the title. Congratulations on the book, and thanks so much for your time. All right, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right, he is Alan Shipnuck. Coming up next, Teddy G joins us. Best bets from the AT&T. Byron Nelson coming up. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And the new Ping PLD putters, designed by pros, played by champions, custom built for you. And by Skechers Go Golf, comfort-driven styles worn by Billy Andre. Back on Golf Today, the road to Brookline is underway. Local qualifying conducted over 18 holes, taking place at 109 sites in the United States and Canada. Began April 25th through May 23rd, and players who advance out of local will join a group of locally exempt players in final qualifying, which will be conducted over 36 holes at 11 sites between May 23rd and June 6th. Now, Longhorn senior Parker Cootie made not one, 
but two holes in one in the same round Monday to advance through his U.S. Open local qualifier at Forest Creek Golf Club in Round Rock, Texas. Cootie told GolfChannel.com afterward that was nuts. A couple of rules officials were giving me a hard time about it, like, you got to buy your group a pair of shoes or something. Take a look at that scorecard. There it was the 17th hole, the 8th hole. Shot 69, but a couple of aces in the same round. Congrats to Parker getting through. Here's some of the candidates for the 2022 Haskins Award presented by Stiefel, the award given annually to the Player of the Year in men's college golf. Gotta love this terrific list. Parker's twin, uh, Pearson Cootie, is on this list. David Pooge from ASU. A lot of Pac-12, RJ Mankey from UW, Cameron Sisk from ASU as well. Now, the Annika Award presented by Stiefel at the watch list, the best players in the women's game. Rachel Heck from Stanford, Rojang from Stanford, Emma Spitz from my alma mater, UCLA. All right, Maddie, TPC Craig Ranch hosts the AT&T Byron Nelson for the second year in a row. This is the third time the tournament will be held just prior to the PGA Championship. Also preceded the major in 2019. 2021 as well and the event began in 1944 as the Texas Victory Open won by Byron Nelson from 1968 on the Hall of Famer His name was on the event and this is one of two tournaments named after a professional golfer Byron Nelson five-time major champ first player to win 50 PGA Tour events 1974 World Golf Hall of Fame inductee won 11 straight events 18 total in 1945 so with more on Nelson we welcome in Sports Illustrated contributor Peter Kaufman Peter thanks for the time give us a brief history of this tour stop and why it remains so important to the PGA Tour sure great to see you gentlemen uh, this tournament did start quote-unquote start in 1944 it was the Texas victory uh, internet you know Texas victory open it had several names up until uh, the 1950s, when it took a 10-year hiatus. Uh, my favorite previous name was the uh, oxymoronic Dallas Open Invitational. Go figure that out. Uh, and it's really important because Byron Nelson is just one of the most revered players in, in the history of the PGA. Uh, now, he was the same, actually born the same year as Hogan and Sneed. Uh, Nelson won three majors in the 30s, Hogan, and then he retired after 1945, Hogan and Sneed won all of their majors, seven for Sneed, nine for Hogan, uh, after 1945. And uh, those three gentlemen won each of the three first tournaments. So while the tournament does say that its provenance goes back to 1944, it had a bunch of different names, took 10 years off uh, between, I want to say, 56 uh, and, and 66, uh, and, and then it reemerged re consistently with Byron Nelson's name in it, along with various sponsors, continually since 68 and of course Arnold Palmer is the only other player who's uh, whose name is on a tournament. Nelson famously uh, retired he wanted to make enough money just so he could uh, have a ranch he could have played right. much uh, much longer what is his place in golf history in your opinion? Well uh, as I said he's so revered uh, he had a tremendous record uh, he won three majors in the 30s he won two majors uh, it, during World War II, and he had two monster years in 44 and 45. Matter of fact, he won half of his PGA uh, at that time record 52 tournaments, half of those in 44 and 45. 
and he retired uh, at, at the top of his game. So he, and you know, he's revered, he's respected, he's the Iron Byron swing. Uh, he was revered in a way that uh, Hogan, for example, wasn't. And Hogan is back in the news because of Tiger's injury. Tiger's such a, and his comeback. Tiger's such a student of history. He, he's cautioned everyone, wait a second, you want a comeback story? It's Ben Hogan. And that's really true because uh, it's great that Tiger came back and that he made the cut at the Masters. He's going to have to go a long way in his comeback to, uh, to come close to what Hogan did. Hogan had only won three majors at the time of his accident when he was 37 years old, and he had grievous injuries in that car accident. The problem was, was not the injuries per se, it was the secondary effects because he had blood clots going into his lungs. They had to tie off his lesser vena cava, his inferior vena cava, which cut off circulation to his legs for the rest of his career. And he, while he won 37 tournaments between 45 and 49, 37 tournaments, uh, he only played in a handful after that and he won six of his nine majors after that. He lost two in a playoff because he just couldn't walk an extra uh, 18 holes. So Hogan was the steely, cold, tough guy who, with the perfect swing. Hogan, uh, Nelson, his compatriot going back to childhood, was the beloved sort of grandfatherly figure who stuck around until the mid-2000s, and everybody revered him. Peter, the PGA Championship is a little over a week away. What to you is the single most compelling storyline? Uh, I'm going to give you a, a little bit broader answer, Eamon. I think Tiger playing another major. I think Phil, the defending champion, with all the circus swirling around him. I think some lesser interesting stories. Jordan Spieth trying for the career slam. Uh, Rory McIlroy back on form. And those two gents have a lot of major drought to make up for. Rory's 0 for his last 28. Spieth's 0 for his last 17. And my under-the-radar storyline is it's a home event for Victor Hovland. I like him quietly coming at this. Peter, great to spend a few minutes with you uh, looking back on one of the great careers uh, in golf history. Enjoy this week and next week as well. We'll speak to you soon. Great. Nice to see you.